What is up, guys? This is All The Smoke on Strength and Physique with your hosts, Adam and Chris, where we provide you with evidence-based information, community support, and recognition to all who are betting themselves with fitness. All right, welcome back to All The Smoke on Strength and Physique. We have an extremely special guest here, Katie, which... If you don't know, I'm I'm a Michigan individual, and she's an Ohio State individual. So I just had to throw that out there. So if, if you hear any attitude from one of us, that that's strictly why. Yes. Other than that, she's from a great school. She's extremely smart. She's extremely successful. Uh, go ahead, tell everyone why you are those things, and a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. Well, thanks guys for having me on. I'm excited to have a conversation and and chat about all things, powerlifting, bodybuilding, fitness, uh, business, whatever you guys want to chat about. So I'm excited to be here. So I am a professional bodybuilder. I have competed in powerlifting and I am a coach myself. So I've been doing that now for six years, which is crazy. Cannot believe I've been doing that for six years. And um, my highest achievement in bodybuilding was winning the WMBF overall figure world title. And then for powerlifting, I have uh, won the USAPL junior national championship in 2015 and then had a top five finish in the open in 2016. So those were my highest achievements in, in powerlifting, bodybuilding. And then otherwise I have been uh, coaching and have really been in kind of that science-based fitness, uh, nutrition training realm since 2013, 2014. So it's been a fun journey and have had the unique experience of having both bodybuilding and powerlifting in my background. And so that's really helped me to, I think, become a better coach and, um, have different perspectives on, on fitness. And, and, um, it's been, it's been awesome. And also get to know a lot of different types of individuals in the fitness realm. So what I'm most interested about is we talked about how you live so close to where the Arnold is, uh, when we were, uh, when we first got into this call before the podcast, what, impact did that have or what influence did you that have on you becoming a power lifter or possibly Mm. a physique competitor yeah actually really good question it was my middle school track coach believe it or not she was an ifbb professional figure competitor and i remember seeing her physique when i was like 13 14 you know and just being like oh my goodness she is gorgeous. Her name's Letitia Wilder. So if you Google her, she will pop up because she is, was very um, just accomplished in, in figure and bodybuilding. So that actually was my first exposure to bodybuilding in general. And I just remember saying, I want to do that one day. And I was just a middle schooler, had no idea what that meant, but it was kind of that connection. And she competed in figure in Columbus, Ohio, but then also was at the Arnold. So I remember seeing her at the Arnold and she got, I think like a top five or 10 finish at the Arnold. And that just like was the first time where I was like, I want to compete. So growing up around the Arnold and Columbus, Ohio is, is a real, I'd say Mecca of bodybuilders and strength athletes, strength athletes. We also have um, West side here in Columbus. We have 
tons of bodybuilding gyms. We have lots of strength, strength athletes. We have so much going on here in Columbus. It's like so random. Um, so I really grew up around that and always saw different athletes and different competitors. And I would see them around the Arnold. I would go and run the 5k at the Arnold when I was in middle school, cause I ran track and cross country. And so it was always something that I just thought was so cool and really sparked that interest in the strength world and in the bodybuilding world. And I think this is extremely important because it'll go into what we talk about and like how your experiences impacted with your clients, but just the environment that you're in is extremely important, whether it be a financial environment, whether it be a school environment, whether you're just surrounding yourself by positive people, like your environment impacts a lot of your decisions. Uh, let's get into the nitty gritty though. What was which one do you like more, I guess? Physique, powerlifting, do you just like both? Does it depend on the time of the year? Well, I definitely from like a sheer, which one am I better at? I'm a better bodybuilder. So I would say that I lean more towards the bodybuilding side of things just simply because from a selfish perspective, I'm better at it. And, and that's kind of like, okay, cool. I, I won the, you know, a title. And so, um, I would say that has a little bit higher on this, on the range, but I definitely have a love for strength training and for powerlifting and anything strength. I still love training, um, strength in the gym and pushing myself and, and also training clients who compete in powerlifting, but it's definitely, I'd say bodybuilding is a little bit higher on the scale of, of what I, what I prefer, what I love. And it is, is the transition from physique sports to powerlifting sports, like strictly strength, uh, because if you're listening to this podcast, muscle size and strength doesn't always correlate. And one is a very skill specific thing. And that is getting stronger. You can get stronger Mm -hmm. without growing as quickly. Uh, you'll likely still grow a little, uh, but maybe not as productively as you would if you were trying to strictly put on size, mm-hmm. how is the transition for you, Katie, going from uh, physique or muscle size related to muscle strength related? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. There definitely is a place I think in your fitness journey when you have to really decide like which one's the main goal. And so throughout different seasons of my athletic career, I shifted from, from focus from one to the other, but at the same time, my training also incorporated, like, let's say I was focused on, on bodybuilding. I also had strength work in there when I was focused on powerlifting. I also had bodybuilding accessory work in there as well. So really for me, I'd say probably the biggest benefit of having both in my training program where I was competing in bodybuilding, but still would go in and do a heavy squat set and do some drop down sets. Or, um, in my first initial season, I actually competed in both at the same time. I would not recommend that, <laughs> uh, within a week of each other, I competed in powerlifting and then also in bodybuilding. I would not recommend that to anyone, but at the same time, it really opened my eyes to, okay, I don't have to necessarily just like shut off my focus completely on strength. When I want to be a good bodybuilder, if I'm doing powerlifting, I also don't have to completely 
not train hypertrophy. Actually, I think there is a benefit to doing that as well. So, you know, it's in terms of probably the biggest benefit for me, it was just opening my eyes to the fact that like strength is really good. If you increase your strength, you're going to be a better bodybuilder. Now, would I say follow a strict, just pure powerlifting program if you want to be a bodybuilder? No, absolutely not. But at the same time, there are aspects of strength training that you can hundred percent. And I would even recommend incorporating into your plan. And one of another benefit, one of the biggest shifts for me too, was a mental shift in, okay, this is cool. I'm focusing on my performance in the gym and not just how I look. So from the, I, I got to ask you all, cause I've only known two other people that have done that and they all say the same thing. I would not recommend it. So can you, how first, how long ago was that? That was in 2014. So I was, oh my goodness, 20, what year is it? 20, uh, I don't even know. Was I 23? 2014 was seven years ago. So I was, I was 22 when I did that. So I was pretty young. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And from what I understood, you were like in high school and stuff, like you said, you were cross country and track. So yes. tell us, can you, and I think one of the things you do a great job on social media is you show the transformation and mm. how it mm-hmm. takes time to do that. Cause everyone three month challenge, six month challenge. Hey, I should look like this skinny high schooler and I should be mm-hmm. able to transition to this Jack bodybuilder or Jack strong power lifter speak on, you know, just being able to transition into your transformation in your physique and what it took and how, I guess your mental either mental struggles or, you know, the mental benefits from going through the process. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, just to kind of touch on saying how old I was, I think one of the benefits I had going for me, was that I was so young. So my body was a lot more resilient, um, to putting it under all that stress because now at 29, there's no way I could ever do that, which I know 29 is not old, but I just think when you're initially, when you're like 18 to 22, your body is a lot more resilient than when you get into your mid twenties and late twenties where you've been training for 10, 12 years. So, um, yeah, absolutely. There is this focus, I think in the, in just our society at large of quick fixes, wanting this 12 week transformation, this six month challenge where you go from, as you said, like a skinny high schooler to all of a sudden this jacked powerlifter bodybuilder. And it, the reality is nothing comes overnight. Nothing that is worth having is easy. And so, for myself, I had the benefit of having been an athlete pretty much since I was eight, 10 years old. I did gymnastics and then I did competitive tennis and then I was a competitive track runner. And so I always knew that it took quite a bit of time just in track in general. I trained for years before I achieved what I wanted to achieve. And so I think the benefit of having had athletic experience was that I knew patience was definitely an aspect of the journey that needed to be, um, remembered each time I went into the gym, it wasn't like going to be a quick fix. And so falling in love with the process as opposed to the product was something that really was a value that my family has always had. And my brothers were athletes. And so I just had that instilled in me from, from a young age. And so throughout the journey, it was like, okay, I need, I love training. Like I fell in love with the training process. And then before I knew it, I started training for bodybuilding at 18 in four years, I completely transformed my body. So it's not a quick fix process. If you want to put on lean body mass, if you want to gain strength, I mean, I do definitely have genetic benefit for sure. Cause my 
family, we have kind of a, just a natural athletic ability and my brothers do and my dad. Um, but at the same time, it was a lot of patience and perseverance. And so it, it took quite a few years. And then even from that age of 22, after I've been training four or five years, it was another three, four years before then I was able to achieve my title in, in bodybuilding. So it definitely was a process that took patience. And that is something that I just really try to instill in my clients as well as, okay, what, obviously you have goals and you want to achieve a physique or you want to achieve a, a strength goal, but like, what is it throughout the process that you're gaining and you're learning? Because those are things that can be applied to other aspects of your life, to your schoolwork, to your job, to your family life. I mean, patience, perseverance, and really gaining this resilience throughout the process, I think was probably the biggest benefit of going through this entire journey. So throughout that journey, what is something that at the time you just really struggled with, but looking back at it now, like it was just a part of the process? Yeah, for sure. Consistency with my nutrition. That was my hardest. Oh my goodness. I really struggled in high school actually with my nutrition because I was a, a track runner and a, and a cross country athlete. And I was always trying to be lighter. I thought I'd be faster if I was lighter. And so I, then my first bodybuilding coach was very much on the non-science side of things. <laughs> so you think about the most kind of like fad extreme bodybuilding diet. That is what I was on, you know, 900 calories, probably under 20 grams of fat per day, probably like 15 grams of fat per day, asparagus, tilapia, doing cardio twice a day. I mean, just you name it, I did it. And so my mindset was very, um, I'd say disordered or, you know, just very kind of messed up when I was first getting into bodybuilding. Cause I thought, well, if I want to be a bodybuilder, I have to be super restrictive. I can't eat. And so that hindered me tremendously in the first couple of years, because I wasn't eating enough to sustain my training. I wasn't eating enough to grow muscle. Now, of course I kind of had those newbie gains, um, even kind of, however you eat you, even if you just start resistance training, you will have some results. Um, but there, it definitely hindered me from what I, my strength, my performance in the gym, my, um, ability to gain muscle. And so it wasn't until I was like, okay, you know what, I'm going to be consistent with my nutrition and see where that gets me. And that's when it just like, just, I saw more results than ever. Yeah. And I can see why that would be difficult because my biggest thing is just being 100 on everything, mm. because I know that's going to be the most beneficial thing. Uh, I think last year sometime I said I was going to compete and I just started posing with Kenny Wallach and that's just a part of the process. Like I need to practice posing for like a year or two before I step on stage, just cause that's the mindset I'm going on stage to be like to, for a title, not just to step on stage, just to try it. Right. Like I'm going to try it, but I better win. And yeah. that's something that I've realized too, is being 100 on everything is just so hard because when I can get in the mindset of training four times a week, really hard and tracking my food. I will not miss a single day, uh, with like nutrition or anything. Uh, but it's, it's just, it's either 100 for me or maintenance mode and there's no in between. Uh, and that that's been my biggest struggle. Adam, did mm. you have something to say? Well, I was going to just to touch up on that. Like, I think that's one thing that I try to instill. And it sounds like, again, Katie's trying to say the same thing, right? If you have that on or off switch that could literally bite you in the ass, but 
how I try to say is you got to, you know, fall back on some principles, as we all know, protein, nutritional, dense food, resistance, training, active lifestyle, like that. What I've I, recently, for whatever reason, a lot of my clients, they, it's either, again, it's either, it's a fat loss phase or it's a gaining phase. And I'm like, yo, what the fuck happened to just, you know, maintaining what you had? Cause that's, I think mm. what we struggle with, right? Anybody can lose weight, but can you maintain it? And like the dad bod is real. The freshman 15 is real. And for you to avoid that, that's a fucking dub in my book. Like, because again, you dig yourself a deeper hole, you start developing psychological, uh, negative psychological aspects within mm-hmm. fitness and nutrition. Um, but Katie, when you say was you were more consistent with your nutrition, what mm-hmm. does that exactly mean? Because when I say consistent with my nutrition, I think, okay, Hey, right now I'm pretty lax with my nutrition. I'm pretty on autopilot. I focus on pretty much the three consecutive meals that I have. And then on the weekends, I'll have a date night, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, for somebody else, consistent like yo, I'm tracking every single link to the gram. Uh, but it sounds like you were someone that was very under uh, under eating, and that really mm-hmm. hindered your performance. So, do you mean like when you're consistent with your nutrition, you were finally able to eat more to fuel your nutri- or fuel your performance, or how was that for you? Yeah, great question. I think as you said, that's a really good point is that everyone's consistent looks different for sure. Cause a competitor's consistent is probably going to be tracking to the gram. Whereas someone who is a general fitness client, their consistent is going to be tracking five days a week. And then on the weekends, having a little more flexible, you know, it just depends on every single person. So, um, for me at that time, when I was in college, I was actually really struggling with really, really extreme deficits and then very extreme surpluses. So for example, my inconsistency would look like six days track, like just 1200 calories, cardio twice per day, getting to a weight that I was like, yes, losing five pounds in one week. And then I would binge, or I would just like say, screw it. I'm just going to go and eat whatever the heck I want and, you know, call it a refeed or whatever it may be. So it was just these real ups and downs where I could not go three weeks being consistent to a plan or sticking to a plan and any plan. So whether it be 2000 calories, whether it be 1500, you know, it was like, I just had this, it was almost like this habit of these ups and downs that I really had almost this, like, I, that was the new normal to me. So if I was sticking to something, it was like, oh my goodness, like when's the shoe going to drop? Like what's going to happen? So for me, it was, okay, I'm going to bump up my calories to something that is attainable. And I found Lane Norton actually at that time in like 2013 or 2012, when he was first kind of coming out with his um, reverse dieting or whatever you want to call it, metabolic building um, videos where he was talking about like, you're probably un- consistently under eating and it's affecting your hormones. It's affecting your mood. It's affecting your consistency. It's affecting like everything. So tr- try to maintain weight, increase those calories, see where your maintenance level calories are at. So at that time I was super active. I was in college. I was running around campus. I was also training like five days per week. I was you know, doing all kinds of things. And I was able to, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to increase my calories and try this like building of calories to see where I can just maintain weight at. And I was able to build up to like right around 2,500 calories where I was actually fueling my training. And then I noticed I am gaining quite a bit of muscle in my legs, quite a bit of muscle in my shoulders and just my physique transformed. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've been under eating for all of these years. And then having these binges that are just affecting my hormones tremendously. I was breaking out. I had acne. I had, you know, and then I would get swollen from some of those like overeating, binging episodes where then I felt terrible about myself. My 
my self-confidence was really low. My just everything was affected by that. And so I thought, you know what, if I can just stick to something that's realistic. So for me, that did include tracking, not necessarily to the gram, but tracking consistently, trying to stay within a 10 gram fat range or like a 20 gram carbohydrate range, depending on my training. And then slowly building up those level of calories, decreasing my cardio and getting to a place where I don't feel like I'm just on this never ending, just treadmill where I'm like, okay, binging, restricting, binging, restricting. And then I saw the physique transformation of muscle building and I did gain weight, but a lot of that was lean body mass. Now talk, can you kind of explain, I mean, you kind of touched on a little bit, you had that aha moment. So when was it, or how was that duration? How long did it take for you to kind of have that aha moment? Like, oh shit, food isn't the enemy. I think it's just the restrictiveness of the plan that I wasn't able to adhere to. How Mm -hmm. long did that kind of take for you to realize that? It was about a year. It was about a full year. So it was 20, I want to say like late 2012, early 2013, when I was in college, where I was like, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to do what Lane's saying. And I'll, and I got really into like, just you know, researching like online, thank God, like I had the ability to be able to find these people online. I'm like, okay, nutrition. And like, what is, how much protein should I be eating? Because I had this almost, I was almost brainwashed by some of the coaching that I had in the past where it was like, you know, 200 grams of protein and 50 grams of carbs and 10 grams of fat. Like, oh my goodness, no wonder I had hormonal issues and I was crazy. Um, so, so from that point, I, then I remember it was like early 2013 when I implemented that. And then it was early 2014 where I was like, holy crap. I look back at just the past year and the consistency. I was like, I was consistent for an entire year, which I couldn't even be consistent for three weeks before that. So it was really a testament to sometimes it's not about less. It's about actually increasing your calories. So you can be consistent. You can gain that muscle that you need to gain to then one day be successful in bodybuilding or whatever it is that you're um, pursuing. And I remember looking back like in early 2014 and I was like, whoa, I think I could compete one day now. And that's the thing I want to touch on too, is the, the binging part that was stopping mm-hmm. you from being consistent. Uh, I know Adam and I don't have much of a psychological background. I'm not sure yours. So me and Adam, we probably, whatever we talk about binge, is just what we've read or seen. It's not very mm-hmm. staple. Uh, what do you think your, your binges were caused from? Was it the, the, uh, the caloric deficit that you were in for such an extended period of time. And what I'm thinking is you were, you were in a caloric restriction almost your whole week, a very, very, very low one. And then you get to a day where you were a little bit more flexible. You were already expecting to possibly be higher on calories because that was the Mm -hmm. cycle you were in and your body just needed a ton of calories to make up for the, the week that you just didn't eat, basically. That's yeah. what I would see the binging related to. Was there anything else going on or what are, what are some yeah. thoughts of binge eating? What, what are some yeah. causes? Yeah, for sure. It was definitely a combination for myself in that period of time. And I think a lot of times when I see individuals who are struggling with binging, who are coming to me for coaching and want help with that, I'm not a medical professional. And so sometimes I cannot diagnose kind of what the root issue of that is. Sometimes it is simply the plan someone's on is just completely 
inappropriate and it's way too low in calories. Of course, you're going to struggle with overeating if you're restricting yourself to 900 calories or whatever it may be. But a lot of times too, we can seek these things that are comforting in the moment like food. Um, same thing with anyone who struggles with an addiction to anything. It can be for that emotional need as well. And so for myself, it actually first was stemmed from, it stemmed from the restrictive calories. Absolutely. Because I would get to the end of the week and I was, I had dizzy spells. I was weak. I was fatigued. I didn't want to go train. I was tired. I mean, I was just like, this is miserable. So my body was just like, I need food. And I was super active and, um, you know, just going all over campus. I was in college at the time. So of course I needed the extra nutrition and calories, but then what ended up happening is that it became meeting that emotional need of like, Oh my goodness, I'm upset with not making the progress I want to make or something bad happened at school or something with a relationship or whatever it may be. And then I started turning to food. So it almost was like a, a combination of things where it was both a, um, a physical hunger, but then also I started, it was like this spiral of just then, then I got in the habit of that. And then if I was depressed, like if I, cause I did struggle with some depression in college for sure, just college is hard, um, as it is. And, and it just was like this up and down time for, for me. And so if I was anxious or depressed, then I started turning to food. And so I think that that's where if someone is struggling with that, it's important to evaluate, okay, where is this coming from? Is it a physical need or is it an emotional need that you're trying to meet with food? And that's where a, a professional, someone who, like a registered dietitian or a, a psychologist or someone who, who deals with eating disorders can really help you in that regard. And it might be a multi um, pronged a, approach too. like, I have some clients that work with me and I monitor their training and nutrition, but they also work with a counselor, someone who can help them with those emotional needs and that, that type of, um, just sometimes I think aspect of, of your nutrition and training and the lack of adherence that can be there that a lot of times it's hard to address because it might be something you're using food to, um, really meet an emotional need that, can't be met with food. It needs some professional help or something different. And so, um, that's kind of, it became both at the same time. Now, again, obviously you have a wealth of experience. Now, how are you, I guess you said you got clients that come to you with very similar mm -hmm. experiences. How are you trying to get them to come to the realization? Hey, it's probably your plan. If you're making it so hard on yourself, this is why you're caving in and again, having this vicious cycle of binge eating and then super restrictive. Um, how are you explaining that to them so they can come to realization? Hey, now maybe let's just, again, fall back on some basic principles of, as we kind of discussed before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's scary at first. It really is because when someone comes to me and they say, I'm struggling with adherence and, you know, I really want to lose weight. I say, you know, you might not want to hear what I'm going to say. And it's that we need to actually increase your calories right now. So you can stick to a plan because we need a baseline. If you're fluctuating up and down, sometimes the worst thing I can do for clients is put them on a deficit because it's just going to continue that cycle of ups and downs. And so I've had quite a few clients who have come to me that say, okay, my calories are at 1200 and I want to lose weight. And I say, absolutely not. Like if you want me to be your coach, I will not put you on a deficit we are going to actually increase your calories. It's going to be scary. We might see weight fluctuate a little bit, but you have to trust me in this process because 
what we what you need to do is establish some consistency because if you don't have a baseline, you really are still going to take those disordered habits into whatever phase you're in. So if you can get consistent and you can have a baseline, then that sets you up for success. And you're actually gaining, as I mentioned before, that patience and not necessarily looking at this as being the be all and end all of your life and actually, okay, put it in perspective. Like your nutrition and training, it's not your life. It's a part of your life. So like, let's have a baseline, be consistent and not look to this as being the answer for everything. God damn, that was some, hold on, hold on. That was some fucking smoke right there, yo. <laughs> I think that's like, that's the toughest thing for, at least I've struggled with, I think predominantly a lot of my female clients. You come to me and I'm like, yo, so you already come to me with all of these. And I'm like, sometimes I literally say like, are you hearing yourself? Like you're saying, hey, it's a struggle to do this. It's just a struggle to do that. I'm like, sometimes I, I literally say, have that conversation out loud with yourself. So you can literally hear and, and feel those kind of emotions that are locked in. Cause again, I think a lot of people, they think that they turn to this and it's again, a quick fix. And then they can kind of go back to their old, old habits. Then as we've kind of discussed, it's just this vicious cycle and you're not fixing anything. If anything, you're digging yourself a deeper hole. Um, and I think one of the things that I, I want to highlight you said before is right. The, the patience, the consistency, the persistence you can do with fitness and nutrition pertains to all aspects in life. And once you have that, um, I say you're, you're fucking unstoppable. Mm-hmm. So what about someone that just is so reluctant to do what you know they need to do, or maybe not so reluctant, but they just, they, they just keep bringing it up the other way, or they want to go into a deficit or they want to do what they can't do, or they shouldn't do, uh, because it likely won't be beneficial. Do you just sort of let them do that for a small period of time? And when they don't see results, then do you, uh, go back to your reasoning why, uh, or how do you approach those situations where clients just don't want to listen to you? Current, mm-hmm. current clients. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, it, it's different for each person. Um, I think, you know, you have some clients who are generally most of my clients will listen to me because they're hiring me for a reason. And so I remind them that I say, okay, you want me to help you. And so if you are not trusting me, I cannot help you. So I need you to trust me in this process. It may not be perfect. It may be hard, but trust me, I have a big picture plan. And so I remind them of that. And that's the thing about coaching. It's not just the training and the nutrition and giving it to your clients. It's also encouraging them because they may have had a terrible experience with a coach before who left them just high and dry. They may have some just deep rooted fears of a certain weight on the scale. And so you continually have to encourage them. I'm not a coach that's just going to say, do what I say, or you're fired. I, you know, each person is now there are some clients where they've been so difficult. I'm like, it's probably best if we don't work together. Cause obviously you don't trust what I'm saying, but most clients are willing to compromise and work with you. And so sometimes I do meet them a little bit in the middle and it's not okay. My way or nothing. Cause I, I have to understand where they're coming from. And so a lot of the process of coaching individuals is figuring out, okay, where are they at? What can they do? It might not be possible for them to go from eating 1200 calories up to 2000 because it's just going to throw them into a spiral. So maybe we'll start with 1600 and then we can take it week by week and start a process of, okay, then we're going to go to 1700 and then we're going to go to 1800. And it's this process of, okay, then you'll see 
you're not going to just blow up and gain a bunch of weight just because we're trying to get you to this maintenance level of calories. So for each person, it's a little bit different. You have to also remember, like they're a human with fears and with past hurts and these different things. And as a coach, my goal is to help my clients really reach whatever goal it is, but also I want them to become a somehow a better person. So how am I encouraging them and how can I use my gifts and my talents to actually make a difference in their life? And a lot of times it's not just do this, no questions asked. If you, you know, if you don't follow this, you're fired. It's okay. I understand you're afraid of this. Let's like meet somewhere in the middle and let's try to get towards where I want you to be. And it's going to be a process and they need to understand that. Now, will their results, will they might, you know, could it be not optimal? Sure. But nothing in life is a science experiment where we're just in a, you know, confined place where there's no variables. Life has things all, you know, everyone's life is just, there's tons of things happening in every person's life. And so we can't just expect each person to be perfect. We have to work with them from where they're at and gain a little bit of consistency. And then, okay, let's, get a little better this week. Okay, next, what can we improve upon? So for each person, it looks different. Now, specifically, you know, kind of going back into your experience as, you know, a competitive bodybuilder and power lifter, what are, you know, what were your, um, I guess, high amount of calories that you were on specifically, maybe mm-hmm. when you were, I would assume a powerlifting competing strictly on that, then how mm-hmm. low did you have to get to kind of achieve your yep. optimal physique? Um, Cause I found for myself, when I have to make weight for my competition as a power lifter, I always, and I just had this conversation earlier with a client, I credit those two years of just busting my ass off, eating damn near 5,000 calories, where now I can lose weight at an easy 3,600 calories, 300 plus gram of carbohydrate. And I always I'm try jealous. to jealous. Hey, I'm blessed. I'll tell you that. But it, <laughs> it was that, I think, again, it was that two years where I just, from straight out of uh, uh, playing basketball in college, I was like, you know, I'm just going to train hard, eat a shit ton of food and put some muscle on. And I was able Mm -hmm. to now I credit a lot of doing that and not dieting so damn much Mm -hmm. to, again, I I guess the the success I often have when I need to start a fat loss phase. But I guess how was that process of being somewhere, I guess, in powerlifting where probably your calories a little bit higher and then getting stage lean where calories cardio is, again, the opposite of what you would do Mm -hmm. for powerlifting? Yeah, for sure. You sound like my boyfriend. He always complains about how much he needs to eat. And I'm like, can you not complain about that, please? (laughs) Um, He's like, I can't eat enough to gain weight. I'm like, okay, let's just like stop the complaining right now (laughs) because everyone wants your problem. Um, But uh, yeah, I absolutely, you know, it's interesting because I'm definitely not a hard gainer. So um, individuals might think that I can just eat a lot and maintain weight, but I actually have to be pretty diligent. Um, right now my maintenance calories are right around like 2,400 calories or so, or 2,300, which for my activity, isn't crazy high. Um, and I've been not in a deficit for most, I'd say out of the past four years. I mean, I've been in a deficit for maybe four months out of that. So it's not like I've been, you know, dieting or anything. So I think a lot of times we see these anomalies on Instagram or whatever it may be, where these chicks are, are maintaining weight on 3,500 calories. And sometimes that ends up discouraging some people because they think, oh my goodness, what am I doing wrong? My maintenance calories are 2,200. It's like, well, actually, Actually, that might be a, you know, that's a pretty decent amount of calories sometimes for a small female. Um, so you have to keep in mind that each person is different, um, but absolutely like big picture perspective, you 
I encourage my athletes, we are spending way more time in a maintenance slight surplus phase than in a deficit because there are adaptations that happen and you cannot optimally gain muscle if you are in a caloric deficit. And that's something too, women, especially they fight because I tell them, okay, look, the weight that you're at is not necessarily going to be your optimal or like, you're not going to stay there. If we are gaining muscle, you're weight will increase. But the thing is, if we can get you from, let's say 130 to 140, and then we do a cut and you get down to 135, you might be leaner at 135 than you were at 130 and you look completely different. So it's really a process of like reassuring them that these times that you're not in a deficit are super important because your maintenance calories are then going to be higher with the more muscle that you do have. And there's not going to be those hormonal adaptations, metabolic adaptations, um, all kinds of crazy things that happen when you are constantly doing too much cardio, constantly under eating. So for myself, just as kind of like a example, I, my highest calories actually were, I mean, it was probably around like 25, 2,600 calories. Um, otherwise I do gain weight. I'm which that is a blessing and kind of a hard thing is that I gain I gain weight pretty easily, I'd say, um, in terms of like, if I'm just consistent with my nutrition, I will put on weight. Now that is a benefit because I will put on muscle as well. Um, but I just have to be a little bit more diligent in the off season to prevent going above 170 pounds. So right now I'm like 162 ish and I'm five foot seven. And that tends to be like somewhere where I hang around one, uh, 162 pounds, 165 Uh, my highest weight in when I've been competitive and in, you know, just adherent and in the past, like eight to 10 years has been, um, 167 pounds for, for my, my weight. And so the lowest my calories got during contest prep was about 1400. But with that, I was also doing an hour of list cardio per day. So, you know, it really is different for each person. Some people you have to push harder in your deficit to get leaner. My body, it, kind of gain weight, gains weight easy. And then I lose body fat relatively. It's not like a super hard thing for me as well, which has been interesting to discover throughout my journey. It's like just each person is so different. And so, um, it's my, the calories that I have to get at the end of a contest prep usually are pretty consistent right around that 13 to 1400 calorie mark. And I'm assuming the amount of times that you've done it, it's been I think mentally possibly a little bit easier because at least for me, it's almost okay. Hey, I guess we can kind of say it's that on switch is all right. Now we just got to lock in. We got a goal for 12, 16, whatever it may mm-hmm. be. And once you're there, you're there and you can kind of, again, reverse out of it. Um, but something I, I, I'd ask you, because again, it seems like your clients, yourself, you try to stay in a maintenance or in a recovery for a long time. And that can get really stale, especially, you know, tracking or just that monotony of tracking resistance training. It's mm-hmm. not, it can be really stale and really boring. How are you making it exciting for yourself or your clients within those phases? Yeah, for sure. Um, there definitely are different ways to kind of make it a little more exciting, but unfortunately you kind of have to just find boring things exciting if you're going to be good at bodybuilding because there's not going to be there's not going to be unfortunately a ton of just new exciting things that happen and so for myself i mean i find just getting in the gym and hitting a new personal best on hyperextensions or split squats or um, that strength component i find that super exciting so usually that's what i try to have 
my clients focus on, let's add in a new movement, a new compound movement and get really good at it. And that's exciting. Um, and also I think it is beneficial at times to add in mini cuts or, okay, let's have this timeline of gaining until this certain month. And then we'll do a mini cut and lose, you know, five to 10 pounds or so. And then we'll start. So that's something to look forward to as well. Also, I have some clients who run five K's or who do what something else like do a, um, have volleyball or do something like that. So it's like, they have something else that's mixing it up. So it's not, we're not just focused just on your lifting and your nutrition and your body composition. So there's different ways to mix it up and add different things in. But, um, for myself, I mean, I've just kind of learned to get enjoyment out of the small things, like having a great lifting session. Oh my goodness. There's nothing that feels better than like doing that with people that I love. So I train with my boyfriend, I train with my dad and after a good hard training session where I feel good and we lift some heavy weights, like there's nothing that feels better than that. So, you know, just those small moments throughout the journey where I'm like, you know what, even if I'm not shredded on stage or, or feeling like I'm lean, you know, I have bad body images, just like everyone else. I just had a great training session and I'm healthy and I'm strong and I feel amazing just being with the people I love and doing what I love. So it's kind of like shifting your perspective. Yeah. And I think that perspective is something that not only body, I mean, bodybuilders, it might be more magnified because they're always thinking about like competing or being on stage, but especially for the general population, uh, it's just, everyone is always seeing these non-realistic Instagram photos or Photoshopped Mm -hmm. photos or the perfect lighting situations, or it's just, unattainable results within the time frame that the individual wants to get. They're looking at this, mm-hmm. this t- world title bodybuilder online, and they're looking at her, Katie, I'm, you are the, her, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. they, they want to obtain this image when you've been putting in 10 years plus worth of work for it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just having realistic expectations, extremely important. Um, mm-hmm. but I want to sort of switch topics over mm-hmm. to how you operate your own business. I guess, mm-hmm. uh, from all I saw is you only do online coaching. Is that correct? Yes. Um, sporadically throughout the years I have done in-person coaching, but then with COVID and everything, I just completely, I don't do any in-person currently, right. but yeah, it's been kind of, so I've done quite a bit in person, but currently just online. Yes. Have you always operated by yourself or have you ever worked under another team? I've always been sole, just by myself, Katie and LLC. (laughs) So with that being said, what was, there's a lot of coaches out there uh, and there's probably coaches definitely listening to this right now. What Mm -hmm. was that process like going through 10 plus years? Like, like anyone with their body, it's going to take time to develop that business. What was that like for you? Yeah, for sure. I was super, super blessed that I had mentors and people helping me. And it was when the fitness industry was kind of first getting its start, I guess you could say as being like more popular, um, in, in powerlifting and bodybuilding and on social media and that sort of thing. So 
I would absolutely recommend anyone who's looking to coach or looking to have their own business to get a mentor, someone who has a successful business. And um, Paul Ravella, he is um, Pro Physique. He owns Pro Physique and now has a, a I mean, so, so successful um, in bodybuilding and coaching. And he's amazing. He was one of my first mentors really in business. And so I go to him with questions and how do I remember we talked on the phone and I was asking him, I was like, what do I use to bill people? Do I like, and he was like, use PayPal, like just keep it all in one place. And he was giving me just some help just with these little details. So if you can get a mentor um, to help you, and I had people who believed in me and were encouraging me to coach. And I would say it wasn't necessarily me coming up with a perfect plan. It was having people who believed in me and who were encouraging me with my gifts and talents. And to use that to help other people. Cause I think that's where you have to have the perspective, the right perspective. And I think that's why I've been able to coach for as long as I have been and, and not like get burnt out of running my own business. Cause there are ebbs and flows and ups and downs and it's all on you and it can be very stressful and it can be so rewarding, but at the same time, there's a lot of peaks, a lot of valleys. And so I think, you know, one of the main things that really has kept me going is the perspective of like, this isn't just to make money, it's to help people. And so what is it that I'm gifted in and talented in that I can use that I was gifted with by my creator that I can help other people? Like it wasn't my own doing of just like, okay, perfect plan, then X, Y, and Z that I need to meet in order to have this amazing business. It was really okay, I have these gifts and I want to help other people. And I had other people who believed in me. So I owe so much to my parents because they, my dad's an entrepreneur. And so he really encouraged me like, heck yeah, like do it. And he helped me with like, just having some different things in place, like liability release and, and um, having kind of a business plan and what I wanted to do and how many clients I wanted, and what I should charge and all these different things, having people who believed in me, some people that were above me who could help mentor me and thinking about what's unique to you. Cause every listener, you have a unique talent, gift, ability, whatever it is, that's different from other people. So don't try to be someone else. I could never be a Paul, but I can be me. And, and that's, I can never be someone else. And so how am I best using what I'm gifted with to help others? And it's going to be different than every person. So don't get caught up in the highlights in the Instagram. Like I have a six figure business that someone's posting on, you know, and you need to follow this, whatever formula. Okay. That's fine. That might work for some people, but it doesn't work for everyone. And you're unique and you're different. And a lot of what you see on social media is a lie. So keep that in mind. And I think that the biggest thing you said was just surrounding yourself with supportive people. And I don't care if you're trying to be a Paul, if you're trying to be a Michael Jackson, if you're trying to be a Michael Jordan, it doesn't matter who you are trying to, or who you're looking up to or what you're trying to accomplish surrounding yourself and building relations is I think key to everything. Uh, so unless you're trying to like be a, a computer genius and it's an IT business and you just, you can't be by people because you got to be on your computer the whole time. True, but, but you probably need people to help you like, yeah, I that's, don't know, learn exactly. that or like how to use that. And oh my goodness. Yeah. And think about the people, you know, who are doing what you want to do 
And what are they doing? And they're probably surrounding themselves with people that are really hardworking and just driven people too. You can't surround yourself with just kind of like people who are satisfied with mediocrity and then expect yourself to be great. Like you have to surround yourself with people who are really trying to achieve something that is more than just sitting around and kind of doing the bare minimum. Listen, I think this podcast alone was all the smoke on how to enjoy the fucking process. Like everything we touched on was all in relation to a process. Like you just got to go through the process to get to where you're looking to go. Hey, the quote faint, the J Cole, man, there's beauty in the struggle, ugliness in the success, Ooh. man. That's, that's what I try to say to all my clients for them to be able to relate anybody. Everyone sees that end result, but nobody understands those lessons and blessings that come with the process. So that, that's just, that's all the smoke. But I, I, you know, Katie, the one thing I, I, you made a post, I, it was a long time ago, possibly, but something that I think is also relatable, right? Within that struggle, within that progress that you make with training, you learn to kind of dial back a little bit. And I think as we kind of said with nutrition, sometimes more is better, but with training, less is better at times and really be able to monitor your, I guess your feelings or your aches and pains, your naggers, whatever. How is that elevated or how is that process going into? Because I think the hardest thing for me and sometimes to relate to my clients is, hey, not always about this training session. It's fuck it. It's not even about, you know, this powerlifting me. It's about being able to do this for five years, 10 years. Mm. You know, when you're you see that old man in the in the gym that's squatting, benching, deadlift, like that's who I want to be. Sometimes, right, we get glorified by that total or stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I want to be able to pick my kid up when I'm 40 years old. I want to be able to pick my grandkid up when I'm 65 years old. How are how has that experience from going or being in this sport for about 10 years changed mm. your perception on that? Oh, yeah, I so true. Big picture perspective and echoes what we were talking about the process. And so, you know, we're not always going to be a competitive bodybuilder or a competitive powerlifter. Of course, there's some people that compete until they're well into their sixties or whatever age it may be, but most likely you won't most likely you will have other things in your life that take priority, your family. And so I don't want to be a person who just obsesses over my fitness and it takes away from other aspects of my life. I want it to be something that actually enhances the rest of my life. And so I have seen quite a few people that I started with in the fitness industry fall off and get injured and then have a lot of struggles associated with that. So gaining a lot of weight or being injured constantly, and just really, it takes away from their life and it still is the stronghold. And so what I have really, I've gone on this journey for, you know, 10, 12 years now, and um, I'm coached by Alberto Nunez. And I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Alberto, but he has such an incredible perspective on this too. He's been in it for a lot longer than I've been in it, maybe 20, 15, 20 years. And he reminds me like, Hey, long-term perspective. So like, let's dial it back a little bit. And I'm a coach, but I need someone who's telling me actually what I don't want to hear sometimes. And so he reminds me like more is not always better. Sometimes less is more because you will stay injury free. You will have more time to do other things in your life that are life-giving. So you're not just a coach and a bodybuilder. You're also a great sister, a great girlfriend, a great daughter. Like, you know, you can't just be so narrowly focused that you miss out on other aspects of life as well. And then the benefit of that is you're less likely to be in kind of that graveyard of athletes who just totally overdid it and then just could not sustain it any longer. 
I think that's like the hardest thing, especially um, you said you were an athlete. That's the hardest thing because it's always about more, 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 more. Hey, even if you're doing the most, like, hey, you got you got a little bit more. And that's something that, you know, I've dealt with uh, with powerlifting. It's like, yo, put more fucking weight on. And I yeah. dealt with, you know, some knee tendinopathy, um, even some uh, it, shoulder issues. But now it's like, OK, yo, chill out. Let's focus on the quality of the movement and, you know, me getting more and more into like the velocity based training, what, I, what I'm going to be doing my PhD. It's like, yo, mm, these people awesome. can, you know, increase a lot of their strength and they don't have to, you know, be at high, high intensities or go to mm -hmm. failure. And usually when you do that, you have a long career. And when you have that long career, you're able to do a lot of external or exterior mm -hmm. things uh, within your lifetime. So mm -hmm. I thought yeah. when you made that post, I was like, damn, I feel that because that's a, that's a fucking skill to really be able to dial back or, Hey, it's like, you know, one losing or missing one set or even just one mm -hmm. uh, exercise is not going to kill you because you got some quality work. And if anything, it could help you sustain being in there the, the, for the long term. So I, I that's one thing I just wanted to highlight. And I appreciate you um, having that perspective on all of that as well. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. It, and it's, you know, I've had a lot of injuries too. So I've learned from my mistakes as well. And most of those injuries came from pushing when I shouldn't have pushed. So another question, because again, you've been doing this for quite some time, powerlifting, um, bodybuilding, stuff like that top. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go top three exercises that you love to do in the weight room. I would assume I, I always see you doing them damn split squats. I don't know how you do it, but I shoot. It's impressive. <laughs> I just love doing things that make me feel like I'm challenged and split squats are one of those things. I used to take it to that level on squats and it just wasn't sustainable with my, I have a trap impingement that flares up when I have a heavy bar on my back and a um, back issue that flares up. So I took it to split squats. I was like, how strong can I get on these? Uh, okay. Believe it or not, I'm actually taking a break from split squats right now. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know who I am, but I would say some sort of a squat motion. So split squat, a squat, a leg press for sure. And then some sort of a hinge motion. So a deadlift, a, an RDL, a good morning, a hyperextension for sure. And then some sort of a press motion. So whether it be a barbell bench press or an overhead press um, for shoulders, for sure. But if I had to add an extra one in there, it would be lateral raises for those nice delts um, for bodybuilding. Those are kind of like one of those things you have to do if you're a bodybuilder. <laughs> so question on those, because I find that like mm -hmm. I love doing them, but sometimes, right, like the heavy weight, you just don't have you don't have that connection. So what are your what are your, I guess, different variations of that lateral raise that you like, yo, like this is where yeah. it clicks. I never use heavy weight. I mean, the heaviest I go is 10 pounds each side. So all about that control mind muscle connection. Most people you see when they're doing lateral raises, they're swinging quite a bit. It's really not doing anything. So if you slow it down, one thing I recommend, this is actually Alberto introduced me to time under tension lateral raises. Oh my goodness. You think you have had adult pump, just wait until you do time under tension. So 90 seconds to a hundred do lottery raises for that long. So I only would use two and a half pounds per side to do that two sets. Oh my goodness. That is the best delt pump you can get. And then I would also say, so I vary it throughout the week. So I have one day I do lottery raises three times per week currently. So one day that's eight to 12 reps one day, that's like 15 to 20. And then usually I do some sort of time under tension lottery raises as well and money. 
I like it. Usually what I've done is I'll burn out with dumbbells and then I'll go right to like a resistance band and I'll just have Ooh. it just isometric contraction. That's what I've I kind like of that. done. Um, or, uh, one of my, my coach currently, Chris guy, he's, he introduced oh, me yeah. to six, six weight shoulders and golly, those, those are, those are, are humbling. Cause I can only get like five yeah. pounds and I'm like, holy shit. So, but yep. yeah, I think that was always one muscle group that I struggled with. Honestly, mm. it was like, right. You're, you're, you're doing like, wait, you're just burning out. But again, for me, it's the monotony of, okay, 15 plus reps. I can't count that high. I'm getting annoyed. It's like, all right, I'm going to put it down and find something right. else but uh no i think again time number 10 again that goes to me kind of going a different way just because you're injured or you can't find something throw in time under tension throw some drop yeah. sets some back off stuff like that bfr i, I love bfr i've done me a lot too. of work with, yeah a lot of bfr work with buckner um and it's all tools for you to i guess achieve that muscle pump and that maximal contraction within that um, there's no right or wrong variation whatever you got to do to kind of feel that muscle mind connection fucking go for it and just more importantly as you said enjoy it and stay within that that weight room but we are approaching that hour time and we want to be courteous of your time katie and we appreciate your time in speaking on your experience of again i think a lot of what you you've kind of explained needs to be echoed more um of like this is a process is a journey and don't let it consume your life but allow it to be part of your life and use these lessons and blessings within mm -hmm. fitness and nutrition and start applying to other aspects in life and then you'll start to level up and all and more importantly be a better person as we all try to be or try to instill in our clients so um mm -hmm. for those individuals that have no idea who you are or where to find you can you please share that information Yes. Um, I am on Instagram, Katie Ann 100. I am on Facebook. That's probably under Katie Ann 100. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> um, I also have a podcast, um, freedom podcast where we don't talk a ton about training and nutrition, but more so like life and faith. Um, and then I have powerfitperformance.com, which is where anyone can go if they're interested in coaching and seeing my kind of what I've done and, um, contacting me. So Katie Ann, um, fit at gmail.com is my email, or you can just go to my website. That's probably easier powerfitperformance.com and submit the form there. If you have questions or, um, just anything at all. So, yeah. Word. And that's all the smoke on strength of physique with Katie. And we'll put all of her information in the show notes. So if you got questions, concerns, anything like that, don't hesitate to reach out to her. She's a phenomenal person. Um, and even a greater power lifter, but that's not what all was important. Again, make this a part of your life, make it fit within who you are. And don't be afraid to get a little uncomfortable when you need to. Um, again, this is what we're here about. Um, but if you got any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, make sure you like subscribe and give us a rating. So we know how we're doing and we can get Chris uh, to mute his video. No comment, Chris, no comment. I think he, I think he's gone. All right, guys, we appreciate you so much. Stay tuned till next week.